0: Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the dockers' foam side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gape
1: up. Call us the tricks of your trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk
0: about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed.
1: Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the tricks of your trade!
0: hello and welcome to episode 10 of the tricks of your trade podcast i'm your host michelle Surson, construction adjudicator and director of tricks of your trade now we're changing pace a little bit today and we're going to be talking to a lawyer about preference payments so in previous episodes you will recall we have been talking to a subcontractor whose uh, business went broke because in part he had to pay a liquidator back money that he had been paid by a builder now i've had uh, lots of questions about that episode since it has gone to air and one of those questions is how do we make sure this doesn't happen to us now i have tracked down uh one of the most highly reputable lawyers in this field of law uh, peter mills he's a senior lawyer at active law in brisbane um but Peter has 17 years experience in this area of law, getting subbies paid, uh getting all of his clients paid, and avoiding paying preference payments to liquidators. So there is no other who uh is across this type of problem more than Peter, and the best thing about him is that he speaks plain English, uh he's very relatable, and he's very easy to listen to, which I know that you, my listeners, will appreciate. Uh, It is a quite heavy area uh, that we're going to be getting into but Peter has been fantastic in drilling down and giving us simple explanations for some of the terminology that you will be thrown from liquidators if one of your builders goes into liquidation and suddenly find yourself getting letters from them. Now it's become apparent to me during this interview that there are some benefits to knowing what might be coming your way if you uh, do receive any letters from liquidators and you find yourself an unsecured creditor and Peter has certainly um, gone out of his way to point out the benefits of how subbies can band together to help each other in this circumstance if you can see the forest for the trees. So without further ado uh, I'll get into the interview with Peter And I will come back to you at the end of the episode with some practical uh, tips on how you can get in touch if you have this problem. Well, Peter, thank you very much for joining us on my podcast. Uh, I'm aware that you have been listening as an avid listener so far. So thank you very much for that. Pleasure. And uh, just so our listeners are aware, we are not talking to a normal lawyer today. We are talking to a lawyer wearing board shorts. We are actually sitting beachside at Bribey uh, talking about the PPSR uh, and the PPS Act. So uh, it should be a very interesting interview. Uh, In previous episodes, we've been talking about how subbies have come unstuck with preferential payments and builders going broke. And one of the goals for me with my podcast is to bring you guest experts who can help you steer clear of these problems and make sure that you get paid on time, Uh, make sure that you stay paid so that you don't have to give any of that hard-earned money back if you get it in your bank account. And Peter Mills is the guy to talk to about this. And Peter, you've been uh, 17 years now working in this area. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is all about?
1: So generally Michelle, the preferential payment term is used to describe that where a creditor who is an unsecured creditor receives a payment or other transaction, normally a payment of money from the company that goes into liquidation, which is an amount greater than they would normally get um, by way of a dividend in the liquidation. So it's trying to make sure that all of the creditors get the same pro rata rather than say for example um, the builder's best mate getting paid their full debt the day before the company goes into liquidation and keeping the money, it allows the liquidator to claw that back um, on behalf of the company and distribute to creditors. Now, that's got its own sort of uh, questions about the unsecured creditor situation as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, my goal is to keep it really um, easy terminology to understand for all of our listeners. So I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'll ask you for some clarifications as we go along. So my first thing is, how does a Subby know if they're a secured or an unsecured creditor?
1: Normally it will depend upon the um, contract terms and also whether or not they've used the benefit of some of the laws to do that. So some of the laws which we um, can look to are such as the Building Industry Fairness Payments Act and the Personal Property Securities Act. Okay. And they really need to think about, you know, some things they won't be able to convince the builder to sign, but sometimes just simply by drafting it differently, the documents are, are a bit softer and the builder, I'll be brutally honest, may not even realise that they're just granted the position to have secured credit to the subby because the builder themselves didn't understand that they were signing.
0: Yeah, great. So it sounds like there's some tricks that we can use, which is uh, always of interest to me. But before I forget to ask you this, just so that uh, all of our listeners are across the terminology, what is a dividend? Are you talking about just money they've been paid? Is
1: that? Well, normally when a company is wound up, if the liquidator has paid all his own fees, then he will pay a dividend pro rata to all of the unsecured creditors. Now, in my experience, that very rarely happens. There's nothing left. And that's why the liquidator is always pursuing preference payments against creditors, because he's saying, look, you wouldn't have received anything. You got paid that $100,000 just before the company went to liquidation, you have to tip that back in.
0: Okay. And so if I'm a subby and I've just received some money from a builder that I think might be on the rocks, How would I know if the payment that I've received might be a preferential payment? Is there some kind of criteria?
1: Look, there isn't a a set in stone criteria, but there are probably two or three useful indicators. For example, if the builder is paying you in rounded amounts rather than in the full invoice amount, or they are paying amounts that they're not attributing to a specific payment claim, they're just paying a lump sum into your bank account. Um, If the payment is, outside normal terms of payment and outside normal practice between yourself and a the builder then it will probably be more likely that the payment was a, um, a preference payment um, but generally you can't say that every payment is a preference payment simply because it was later because it was zeroed off amounts, rounded up amounts. Um, it, Going to be quite a complicated question, but that's good because that's where subbies will actually be able to defeat perhaps potential claims by liquidators.
0: Okay, and so it's not forever, is it? There's a a period of time before a builder goes broke that these preference payments sort of come up, isn't it?
1: That's right. For um, unrelated parties, generally they only relate to the transactions made within six months of a um, liquidator being appointed. Okay, so there must be a liquidator appointed, that's important if it's simply a restructuring plan under the new laws or a voluntary administrator appointed there is no statutory power for either of those persons to make claims for a preference payment okay and so it's only when a liquidator is appointed so we can talk about that as to what some of the tactics might be are to to stop liquidators being appointed yeah
0: for sure so i suppose this comes up in two ways for subbies it's either they're being paid some money and they think their builder might be on the rocks Uh, Or sometimes they just find out that their builder has gone into liquidation because they get a letter from a liquidator and they get asked to be creditors. So I suppose the goal of this podcast, if we can um, achieve it, is to really give subbies an idea of what to do when they receive those letters, to understand what they mean, and then who to go to to get some help, and what not to do if they're thinking about doing something rash.
1: So I think that it having advised um, a lot of uh, businesses with regard to preferences, the main thing is that if your um, builder is defaulting in payments, so there's no payment schedule being delivered, they're just not paying, then the question is if they are really distressed, you want to try and look at maybe getting payments from the director directly rather than from the company. So important to recognise, preference payments are only normally those payments that were made by the company. If it was a director who made the payment to you personally, then you will not be exposed for a preference payment. The liquidator has no power to recover in relation to those payments normally. Um, if a, a company therefore is defaulting, that, that would be my first thought process. Payment plan, but with someone else paying. In addition to that, with regard to secured creditors, normally most subbies are unsecured, okay? And when we what we talk about is a secured creditor has an interest in an asset to secure the obligations owed and that might be uh, normally that has to be under a written document and a registration made on the PPS Act to make you a secured creditor. Now if it hasn't been done in the original terms then it might be able to be done in negotiating a payment plan that the company agrees grant a security interest and you register it on the PPS and that way the payments received will be as a secured creditor and again you'll be able to defeat um, a preference claim by a liquidator further down the track. So those are just a, a couple of the, the, the tips as to, to that sort of process when someone's defaulting. I think that the problem, and, and we were talking about that um, interview you had with that uh, fantastic guy, uh, I don't know his name because it was anonymous. But he was speaking about the fact that um, two and a half years after his builder had gone belly up and gone into liquidation that a liquidator came chasing him. Well, that is a real problem because a liquidator has three years from his date of appointment to pursue anyone for a preference payment. So that's why the two and a half years came about, I think. Um, So it it is very important that once having received payment that Um, You put that away, if you've done everything to protect yourself, liquidators won't normally pursue you. Okay? If you're getting a letter from a liquidator alleging that there's been a a preference payment received by you, you have to go and see a lawyer straight away. Okay. Okay? Because everything that is written in response will be produced in front of a judge. Right. Okay? If it gets down to that point. And normally these sorts of disputes aren't in the magistrate's court. Normally they are dealt with by a, a district court, Supreme Court, or even a federal court judge, and the cost of that can be, you know, more than the debt itself, more than the preference payment.
0: Absolutely, that's um, yeah, quite frightening. Three years from the date of the liquidator's appointment, and so, you know, um, I don't think that there are many tradies out there who are really thinking about this stuff in hindsight, um, or should I say, proactively. Mm. Uh, I just picked up there, and one of the things that our listeners might be thinking listening to this is, it sounds like you're talking about securing money on the PPSR, and a lot of our subbies will only really be able to think about the PPSR in terms of you know, vehicles or equipment. Can you explain what you're talking about there?
1: So the PPS Act um, allows a secured creditor to register their interest, provided there is a written document backing that up. And the registration costs uh, $6 for a seven year period. Wow. And the registration does not require anything from the, the builder for you to be able to do so. If you've got the agreement or the document supporting it, and it doesn't have to be even be a signed document okay. from the builder. It merely needs to be adopted. Okay, So that makes it a lot easier to, to qualify. And so these can be electronic documents. Mm-hmm. and with the registration process it's done online through the government registry um, it is a bit tricky so I do make a warning up right now don't try and have a crack at it I do recommend getting um, expert advice about it and it's not hard if you know what you're doing but i just say if you don't know what you're doing you'll make a mistake Normal, and the registration can be um, against various different assets so yes it can be against trucks, it can be against other plant and equipment um, it can be against uh, intangible assets like your builder's accounts receivables. Okay. And and so on. So it works like a pigeonhole system. If you think of all the different types of assets that a company might have, they're all divided up into pigeonholes, and you can register against one or more of those pigeonholes. Mm. Okay. Each registration costs six bucks, but um, generally you only need two or three registrations.
0: Okay. And so if I was to have a crack at this myself and get on there and try and register something, what would happen if it was wrong? Is there any opportunity to
1: fix it? Uh, For some there are. Um, I don't know that sounds like a lawyer's answer, (laughs) but i would just say this. The number of times that the registrations are done incorrectly and the people who make the incorrect registrations uh, quite often some of the biggest companies in Australia who haven't done it correctly because their people didn't know how to do it So I just make that warning straight away and if what you're saying is That you we want to do this registration so that we protect ourselves from an unfair preference claim of say 60 or $70,000 I Think it would be imprudent to start penny-pinching mm. and think that I can have a crack at it. Yes um, Okay, I really do emphasize that i um, I've acted for enough people who have done the registrations correctly, and they've been very happy. And then I've gotten new clients who didn't do registrations correctly, and they've been very unhappy. That's right. Yeah. And, and they were exposed mm. because, of, you know, for the sake of getting it done correctly.
0: Okay. I suppose uh, one of the things that most people are aware of with the PPSR is that, you know, it's first in, best dressed, isn't it? I think you told me a funny analogy one day about a bear. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's my only joke, Michelle, it's my bad (laughs) joke, which I'll I'll be using forever. So, and and the listeners have probably heard the joke about the two hikers who are walking through the forest. And uh, they come across this very large and hungry bear. And the first hiker bends down, takes off his hiking shoes, and he puts on some running shoes. And the second hiker says to the first hiker, What are you doing? You'll never outrun that bear. And the first hiker says... I don't have to outrun the bear, I only have to outrun you. <laughs> so, um, and, and that might sound unrelated, but it, uh, being a secured creditor means that um, you don't have to outrun every creditor, okay? You only have to outrun the ones who you're competing with. So, for example, for a builder, many times their banker will have registrations over land and they will go down. And sell up the land and they'll recover their debt under personal guarantees by the director, etc. But they won't be worried about the plant and equipment of the business, okay? So you're not actually having to outrun the bank in relation to priority over that, th- those goods because the bank doesn't care for one or it may not actually have registered anything against that equipment. Okay. So that's where PPS is that analogy. You're looking how do I outrun my um, uh, anyone and choosing who is to be outrun. And if you're secured and your other creditors are unsecured, then they're that second hiker, aren't they? Yeah. They're the ones that the liquidator will be chewing up with a preference payment claim, whereas you're home free.
0: Yep. And then you've got the turkeys who are running in crocs who have done their own PPSR (laughs) (laughs) registration and they've cocked it up and then hopefully you might end up ahead of them once they get kicked off the register. Is that how that works?
1: Well. Look, sometimes um, I can be not so nice. I'm, I'm generally a nice person. <laughs> but if it's between my client and someone else getting paid first, I'll just start pointing out that the other party did their registration incorrectly or that their document doesn't satisfy the requirements. And so that's where it's coming down to well, I can run my race, but if I have to um, use what they call pointy elbows and, you know, uh, trip the other person okay mm. I will do that mm. that's part of my job to make sure my client gets paid
0: first for sure that sounds wonderful um and so I suppose when you're a subby and you are thinking about registering on the PPSR and you're getting wind that your build is going to go broke and a lot of subbies you know the rumor mill's ridiculous and you'd hear it on the grapevine four hours before and then yep. they send their accounts clerk desperately to the PPSR to quickly make a registration because they think that something's imminent. Uh, you know in terms of the downfalls of doing that in a reactive fashion is there a better way that these subbies can cost effectively yep. know how to do a registration, know when to do one, when they should be doing one and then is there a way that they can still do it themselves but make sure that they're doing it properly?
1: Look they can. I mean um, most of my clients I don't sit down and do their registrations for them. What I do is that I give them Um, two things. Uh, A manual, which is just simply uh, like a letter explaining what to do. I set up um, each of their profiles on the register. So it's like internet banking. You know how you log in and you've got a number to type in to be able to access your bank? That's what the PPS registry is like. You log in, use your your name and your, your password, you get on. And then I also set up for them um, an electronic template of what they will register each time, so they don't even have to remember what to register. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. So that process makes it easier, and you know that I've got clients, even one yesterday, who's been using that system for the last um, well, it's almost ten years now since the registry started. Just ten years, actually. It was um, first, thirty first of January, uh, twenty eleven, um, and he's never had a problem. He's always been a secured creditor, and he deals with large um, equipment, etc. Renting it, and um, every time we've been a secured creditor, and we've gotten our money, and we've gotten our goods back.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple of clients who uh, do hire goods to construction sites, and they have subcontracts. So the builder always sends them a big, scary subcontract, and there's always, you know, 150 million clauses in there, and no one really knows what they're signing up to. Right. But these guys have got a security agreement uh, that they had a lawyer draft for them and so what they would do is they'd try and get their builders to sign the security agreement they probably maybe have like a 60% success rate with that which is good Um, but for the guys who they don't get the document signed they'll Mm. they'll still register on the PPSR and then but in one instance, or a couple of times, I've seen the builder's legal team quickly come back and they must do checks every month, so they must check to see who's registered something against them. Yep. And then they get a letter saying, you naughty boy, you weren't supposed to do that, take it away.
1: Yep. yep.
0: And so I think that a lot of the subbies, you know, they are trying their best to get this right, but the system's not really supporting them.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I think, you know, I haven't seen those letters. Sometimes I do see letters by... Principals and, and, and builders to subbies to remove registrations. More often than not, the problem has been is that the, the uh, Subby has registered um, over too many of those pigeonholes. So it's like he's placed him or she has placed a mortgage over all of the assets okay. of the builder, and that that's not what the PPS is intended. You're only there to protect your own assets, really. Yes. Um, so that's where it's been removed or they've, they've registered in an incorrect terminology so there are about 21 different pieces of data you have to input. Using that template I described there's only one. Okay. okay? So that, that's why I, I use that for clients. So that's probably what's happened. They've probably registered incorrectly over too much um, and that's what has annoyed. Mm.
0: So. so how does the PPS regime deal with these conflicts then between registrable and non-registrable
1: interests? Well normally the PPS will trump an unregisterable interest because okay. not all unregisterable interests are actually a type of security. So PPS isn't the only type of security. You've got mortgages over land, you've got PPS over other assets and then you've got other types of security which are a bit too lengthy to talk about today. But generally speaking, the PPS will trump simple contractual agreements. Okay. Okay. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to be important in the building industry where what we are going to, I suspect, see, probably in March, April, is um, quite a number of builders go insolvent because JobKeeper is finishing, mm. as we know, mm. um, that there is the new restructuring process. Now, that, I'm not saying it's all bad news. We said before that only liquidators can sue for preference payments. If a builder um, is going to, sorry, is insolvent, then they generally have two choices or three choices. One is to appoint a restructuring practitioner under those new insolvency laws and see if they can, and if the creditors, including the Subby, support that, then that means a liquidator is never appointed. So we were talking today, I think earlier, Michelle, I think that subbies should collectively discuss with an independent advisor the use of their proxies collectively to perhaps approve a uh, restructuring plan even though they're not happy about it because they know at least that way they will never face exposure from a liquidator. Yeah, right. Okay? I, I refer to it this way. <clears throat> it's the cheapest get out of jail card in town for a preference payment because you don't pay anything yeah. for a preference payment. Number two, it's the only retrospective insurance you'll ever be able to buy. <laughs> so you've already had the car accident yeah. with the guy who's gone into, or well, is an insolvent. You're never gonna get any more money out of mm. it. You just don't wanna to have to give any money to a liquidator, do you?
0: For sure, money's just not there no matter how hard you try. Yeah. So just to backtrack a little mm. bit, What's a proxy? Are you talking about that first meeting that the liquidator will send you a letter and say, this, or this person's gone into liquidation, you can attend a meeting and you get the right to vote. Is that what you're talking about?
1: That's right. So that there are people who um, provide services and they're not always independent, who will have um, numerous creditors sign proxies, appointing that person to vote on the creditors behalf at any meeting. Now, if that, that, that person who does the voting is called the proxy, Now, if that proxy actually has other commercial interests of their own in conflict with the the creditors, that I think taints the quality of what advice they may give. For sure. So we've said to clients, um, or I've said to clients as a lawyer, I can collectively be a proxy for all of you. This is the plan on how we are going to vote as a group. Have a block of votes so that what you want has greater chance of succeeding. If you don't vote, the, the liquidator or sorry, the restructuring practitioner won't go chasing you for votes. If you don't vote, it doesn't matter. Okay, you don't count. It's as if you you were never a creditor, basically. Um, so that's what's so important. Get your collective voting power together, use it effectively, uh, rather than to simply not turn up.
0: Yeah, interesting. I don't think there is a single subby that I've ever worked with who's received one of those letters that's gone to the meeting and voted. And maybe it's because they don't understand what they're getting when they when they get it into their inbox. But it sounds like, if you're a subby and you think your builder's going broke, or your builder's gone broke and you've been paid in the last six months some money, that it would just be at least worth asking the question, wouldn't it?
1: It, it would. And look, the, the, the key thing about voting is that it's calculated on the basis of each person's debt as an unsecured creditor. Okay. So. <clears throat> That's why banks never turn up, because they aren't unsecured. They've got the mortgage over land or company Mm. charges. They don't care what happens. Um, The ATO turns up because they're unsecured. But if you add all of those unsecured subbies together, so just say for the moment that everyone's unsecured, then they would more than likely be very close to at least 50%. And it's normally only a majority which is needed for most resolutions. Sometimes it's 75%. But it's by the dollar terms. Okay? and by the majority in number in some cases. Hmm. So a little bit complicated, that's why I'd recommend a proxy system. But this is where subsidies actually have more power than they understand. They could stop companies appointing a liquidator and therefore never face a preference moment.
0: Because they would go into a deed of company arrangement, is that what that's called?
1: That's another option, that's right. So when a, um, a company is too large, say so it's got debts of over a million dollars to unsecured creditors, it can't use that restructuring plan process, but it can use a voluntary administrator and it can then use a Docker process. Mm-hmm. Now a Docker process is everything but preference payments. What it is is that the creditors agree that the payment plan, or sorry, the restructuring deed of company arrangement will be that perhaps they may not get anything. But they certainly won't have to pay anything either. Mm. Okay? So and a liquidator is never appointed using the deed of company arrangement. Um, it's all done without any court process. It's all done on the votes. Okay. Okay. So that's where we're going back to this proxy process using your power to get something passed. Mm. And people like the ATO, I suspect, will be more prone to supporting arrangements in which both subbies and the ATO never face a preference payment claim. Okay. So. Mm. Um, that, that's changed over the last couple of years because of COVID. I won't go into that right now, but I really think subbies should be contacting each other. They should be saying, right, let's collectively have someone advise us on how we should vote. And, and this is the kicker, even if a company has gone into liquidation, there is the ability still to use the docker process, mm. do the company arrangement. So even if your um, members um, have gotten a letter from a liquidator, if they're scared about preferences and this is taking it back to that chap um, who you interviewed recently mm. he and other subbies might have actually been able to propose a docker take it out of the hands of liquidator and it would never had have had to have paid a preference payment mm.
0: and i suppose at that point though subbies always have their eyes on what they're owed yeah and you know it's a sad situation but would you agree with me with the the line of thinking that you know you do have to sort of move on from that grief pretty quickly and think about what how much worse it could possibly be if your builder's gone into liquidation what are the chances of you getting that money
1: no exactly um and look your members shouldn't feel that they're the only ones who ever don't get paid okay i know the building construction has has one of the worst reputations Um, and sometimes we've got credit risk insurance which will pay your members certain monies or you know when the company goes bust when the builder goes bust but there is not always automatic coverage for preference payments. So your credit risk insurer may pay you what you didn't get, but they won't cover you for what you now have to pay to liquidator. So mm. you know it's important to factor that in. And personally I find that this is the real issue. Every dollar you have to pay back as a preference payment is coming out of pure profit. So if I work on a 5% margin and I have to pay an $80,000 um, preference payment, then I need to do $1.6 million worth of work just to recover. Yeah. And is there another you know, $1.6 million job around the corner? Possibly not. So I'm sharing that that commercial reasoning of why you want to um, not have to pay preferences or to reduce the amount to a nominal amount mm. has a real flow on effect to your you know, business's profitability mm. in, say two or three years at least.
0: Absolutely. Well it was certainly a very big factor in um, the trader that we were talking to a couple of weeks ago in terms of that it just came left of field two and a half years later. It was nothing that he expected and there was just no way for him to budget or plan for it. Um, Where you were talking before about subbies should get in touch with each other and band together, I think sometimes it's the practical stuff that really, you know, gets in the way. And Mm, mm. when, am I right in my recollection, the first, one of the first letters you usually get from a liquidator has all of the creditors on it, doesn't it? So that would be how they would figure out who else would be a creditor.
1: Yeah, the, uh, that's hopefully. The, the uh, company has something of books of account, mm. and the uh, liquidator will send out, you know, a letter to everyone and ask them to say how much they owed. Mm-hmm. He's been told or she's been told by the director that they owe or owe so much. <clears throat> now that list, um, it is trolled by people who are not independent advisors in okay. relation to proxy. So I just make that as a as a comment straight away. Um, but it would help your um, members that, you know, certainly where there are more than one jobs and they may not know all the subbies, that they'll be able to get those other names. Yeah. Now, I think the best way to manage that process would be for them to uh, collectively contact yourself so you've got all the names, and then it's really just about managing what documentation has to be done. These things can be done, of course, remotely. Meetings and yeah. podcasts, or sorry, not podcasts, but Zoom meetings or team meetings. And I think people just need to know some. certainty at the end of the day, mm. if we can do this, does that mean we avoid paying preference payments? Mm. That's the plan that you want to sort of be looking at. Um, and I just hark back to the fact I very rarely see anything paid creditors out of a liquidation mm. so that money they pay in just goes to pay liquidators and yeah. other fees.
0: So once a liquidator is appointed you know and subbies is sort of going oh you know should we go to this meeting well yeah and you should be checking your ledger to see what you were paid in the six months prior Yes. Yeah. and then going out and getting some advice about making sure that that risk of having to pay that money back for three years after that mm. liquidator is appointed mm. is not hanging over your head Uh, So, no, I think that is really valuable and I think it gives people some really practical ways to uh, look at doing some of this stuff as well. And what seems to be largely outside of subcontractors' control, you know, you're never going to stop builders from going broke, you're never going to stop companies from going broke. I think somebody in my first year of law school told me that companies were designed to fail well, to protect the people involved.
1: Um, there's, There's an old saying in insolvency, okay? Um, If you didn't have hell, then religion wouldn't work. (laughs) If you didn't have insolvency, then business wouldn't work because there'd be no ever risk to be perpetually doing something bad. Yeah, for sure. So, yes, maybe it was designed to fail. Mm. But um, I I think one of the the other things I'd like to mention is that every business is a banker for its customer. Mm. And just like a bank registers on the PPS registry or registers against land, Your members should be thinking about that, I think. I'm sure they always are. That, how can they be a secured creditor over assets, not simply at the whim of one of the um, builders paying them whenever they want to? If you've got all the documents in order, it gives you a much greater chance of being paid and keeping the money. Mm. That's the key thing. That's exactly why banks never face preference plans. They've always got their documents done.
0: So, I mean, 17 years in this regime, you must have some nuggets of advice that are the key practical issues for security interest holders with pps what would be your top three
1: don't make it complicated don't overwork it okay Um, you and i was talking before a security document can be simply a single um, paragraph in an email okay yeah keep it simple that's the main thing Um, secondly is that uh, do not start filling out forms in relation to a liquidation without getting proper advice. Mm. So you can have all of your documents done correctly and then your debtor goes into liquidation and then you um, fill out the form incorrectly and you actually waive all of your rights that you thought you had. So that's why it's really important to get good advice about that. More importantly that you do something and we're talking about that. I think the third thing is that, um, as we said about being a banker, is that um, members should have an interest collectively with other suppliers into a project of ensuring that everyone gets their fair bit out of it. Now, in Queensland, we have some very strong laws, okay? Everyone is there to hope that the project succeeds. If the original builder falls over, so be it. But if we all get paid, then that's what we see as success. And we can do that using these laws, mm. okay? Um so Those are probably three things that I'd share, and I'm sorry, probably a fourth, and I do apologise, is that um, members should contact someone before the problems start, Mm. knowing that they've maybe been burnt before. It's gonna pay back in buckets, Mm. okay? That client of mine, I think what I've charged him, he's probably recovered 20 times that. Wow, yeah. Just because we put in a simple process, Mm. and, and it's good.
0: One of the things that I'm always harping on about to subbies is just having a systematic approach. So people listening to this are going to be thinking, PPSR, like another thing to worry about. I'm just a guy on the tools. I don't want to be thinking about all of this stuff. Why is it so hard? Why do I have to do more admin? I'm going to need a clerk for that. And what I usually say back to them is that you don't need to be an expert in all of this stuff. You just need to have a regular system and a routine and a specific way that you deal with things. And then you have a warning when something goes off track and you know who to call. And I think um, you're definitely going to be in my back pocket for one of those people to call about <laughs> PPS. and all of this stuff because it is an absolute labyrinth uh, for even you know I've been to law school and this has taken me years to really get my head around what it's all about so um, thank you very much for your time
1: pleasure
0: and I'm really you know I'm grateful for you to be taking your time at the beach today in your board shorts to spend time with me talking about PPS when you should be having a day off so um, I think our listeners will get a lot of benefit out of this how can they contact you uh, with their questions
1: so um, the easiest way would be a mobile I suppose 04007 18428 um, that's the quickest and easiest way and, and happy to have a chat you know it's a fallacy that all lawyers charge from the minute that you start talking um, but I would like to see a group of uh, subbies and happy to even have a chat with you and they about some of these things in a bit
0: more detail. Yeah, perfect. Uh, And I will be putting your details in the link to this episode as well. And if anybody uh, forgets who I'm talking to, Peter Mills, uh, then you can just contact me, questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au and I can hook you up. Thanks very much, Pete. And I will let you get back to your beautiful day at the beach.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. (laughs)
0: That concludes episode 10 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. Uh, For those of you who would like to get in contact with Peter, he did rapid fire rattle off his phone number for us during the episode. I'll just repeat that for you now. It's 0400 718 428. Alternatively, you can contact Peter Mills via me uh, just simply by emailing me at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. And thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.